Welcome to Intimate Interactions, your personal relationship study guide. From the stories of how we're told we're supposed to love, to how we've learned to process through difficult emotions, no intimate topic is too big. This season we talk about how intimacy intersects with jealousy, addiction, body image, shame, and much more. Let's talk. Special thanks to my amazing Patreon supporters for making this possible. If you want the ad-free version and you'd like to support the show, go to IntimatePodcast.com and click Premium, or go directly to Patreon.com forward slash Victor Salmon. Either way, you'll unlock every episode of this weekly podcast and gain tons of additional premium content. Hello, Intimates. Do you know anyone queer, kinky, polyamorous, or otherwise non-monogamous? Often those people have spent time in the quote-unquote closet. That is to say, they were probably unconvinced that they could be safe and out and be honest about who they were. Sometimes that even applies to the people with whom they were closest, who they loved the most. Enter shame, a dangerous and destructive emotion that can lead to depression, anxiety, and other mental illnesses. Our guest today is Gloria Jackson Nefertiti, a 62-year-old black, sex-positive, body-positive, femme-shame expert. She presented her workshop Transcending Shame at ConvergeCon these past two years, while I was presenting on Consent and BDSM in the ballroom next door. I'd also like to apologize in advance for any problematic stuff that gets said in the session. I can own that I can do better. Ultimately, I want to understand a person's meaning ahead of all else. I want to get the best performance I can out of my guests and try and help them get the information that's important to them out. In any case, Gloria has some really great stuff on shame, and I'm incredibly excited to share her perspective with you on intimate interactions. Welcome to another session of Intimate Interactions. I'm here with my guest, Gloria Jackson Nefertiti, a shame specialist. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I uh, teach a class called uh, Transcending Shame, and I uh, started teaching that in uh, April of last year. Actually, the the very first time I presented it was at uh, ConvergeCon last year in uh, Vancouver, B.C. Yeah, so, um, and since that time, I've presented it at, uh, you know, various other conferences, and uh, it's something that I definitely feel qualified to teach about. I mean, being that um, I g- grew up as a, a fundamentalist Christian, and so I, uh, you know, learned a, a lot about shame <laughs> from the church, you know, just from being shamed. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, my my family was really good about shaming me as well. And oh. as, as we go on, you know, I'll I'll also tell you about uh, this. Person who I was in a relationship with for almost 20 years, uh, who I would say I probably learned the most about uh, being shamed him. You know, so um, yes, I'm, I'm definitely a specialist. And, and I should point out too that uh, transcending shame necessarily mean that you'll never feel shame again because I, I still do. But it just means that shame will no longer run your life. And also as a result of the work that, that I've been doing over the, the past uh, year or more, um, I can recognize a lot quicker when I'm being shamed. Mm-hmm. Awesome. 
that's a great introduction to the type of work that you do. And I was fortunate enough to be present at the first Transcending Shame. I actually taught at that convention as well at ConvergeCon in BC. Um, let's talk about the experience of shame before we dive into all the amazing transcending and catching earlier and self-awareness stuff that you teach. <laughs> let's touch on what shame might feel like, like heat in the face or clenching of the jaw. What does shame feel like for you? Um, I know for me, I'll nor normally feel something in the, the pit of my stomach, you know, which, which doesn't feel good at all. But mostly I'll j just feel, you know, heat. In, in my face um you know and emotionally i feel uh you know worthless um you know in incompetent but i i would say that that's the uh, you know usually what i feel is the uh you know, the heat in my face and the uh you know, sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. Now it varies, you know, from person to person. That's how it feels for me. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard some people describe hunching, like that collapsing mm -hmm. of the body. Yeah. I've heard some people describe sweating. Some people mm -hmm. describe anxious hand rubbing, mm -hmm. all sorts of nervous coping strategies, touching the back of the neck, hands through the hair, those sorts of things. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> as, as I'm sure most people have, have at least touched on at some point in their life. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so what I, I was, the next question you so beautifully segued into is what sorts of thoughts or feelings tend to follow the experience of shame? Um, it, it's, it's really interesting. You know, I, I don't usually feel, or, or I, you know, I don't, don't normally feel, uh, you know, these, uh, narratives, you know, in, in, in my head, but the feeling is basically, you know, a feeling of worthlessness, uh, you know, a feeling of, of being no good, uh, incompetent, as I mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, and it's, uh, oh gosh, <laughs> it's pr probably one of the worst feelings that, that I can think of. I mean, I, I would say even worse than uh, fear for me. Yeah, yeah. At, least, at least with fear, it's the anxiety about what's about to happen versus the shame of feeling the unfixability of worthlessness is how right. I would almost frame it right. for myself. Yeah. Well, Several years ago, uh, in in the the 1980s, uh, there was a, a, a minister. I, I let's see. I believe he was a minister and a therapist uh, named John okay. Redshaw. And uh, you know, sadly, he was somebody else who we lost in the year 2016. But you know, the shame was something that that he he taught. I mean, it, it was just so important to him. You know, and, and so he would uh, teach these shame workshops, and he he wrote a best-selling book too uh, called "Healing the Shame That Binds You," and that's something else that I really like about you know these uh, presentations is that I feel like I'm uh, having a chance to introduce that book to a whole new generation, <laughs> and and it it feels great, it it really feels great. You know, so so he's uh, definitely been an influence on me. But the, the uh, big reason why I, I bring him up is because um, he he gave the best to to me, you know, the the uh, best distinction 
between um, guilt and shame that, that I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. I always use it in, in my presentations. Um, what he says is uh, guilt says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. Oh, yes. That is that is the distinction that I really like using. Yeah. The um, I feel bad versus I am bad distinction. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Some other narratives that I was that I was sort of pondering in preparation for this were having a desperate need to apologize, mm-hmm. not just for one's actions, but for oneself, which is again, exactly the distinction you're making. Yes. Yeah. Um, a fear of judgment or consequences, mm-hmm. intense feelings of being wrong, broken, unloved, unlovable, Yes. intense regret or hurt or sadness, mm-hmm. or just extreme negativity in your internal monologue and the words yeah. that we say to ourselves. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is so true. So, <laughs> one of the questions I love asking, mm-hmm. and again, feel free to expand on this as much or as little as you'd like. Sure. But there's this notion that shame requires at least one other person. There must be an observer. Mm-hmm. And that when we experience it sort of on our own, it's through the internalized lens of others. Mm-hmm. So the question is, who originally gave you the ideas of shame you carry? And you, you touched on that a little bit with the church, but I'm curious to hear a little more on that, if you would. I I would say definitely my family. It's especially my father, my late father. Um, oh my gosh. I mean, he and my older sister were just masters in, in shaming. Um <laughs> one, of, one of the things that I uh, point out in, in my uh, workshop is um, there there are different behaviors that b- people will, will will do, you know, people who w- will shame you. Uh, th- there are certain behaviors uh, like one, one is that they will uh, br- bring up the past, you know, for, for example, um, and it c- could be something that happened, <laughs> you know, 10 years ago or, or 20 years ago. But they will will always remember you a certain way, you know, when when you weren't at your best, you know. Um, they will possibly say things like, and and th- this is something that my uh, late father would, would do. And let let me just back up a little bit. I'm the second oldest of eight kids, and somehow my father had this idea that if if I was older then somehow I was just supposed to automatically know certain things. And so mm. when I didn't know these things, he would, would just spend so much time, you know, shaking his finger at me and, you know, just going on and on saying, now you're older, you should know better. And, you know, it's just all these things that I should have done or, or that, that I should have known. And th- there, there was really no reason for for me to know these things. I mean, I was, a, I right, yeah, you know, yeah. But I remember internalizing that, and, and right. feeling, you know, <laughs> completely worthless. Yeah, there's that. There's again that sense of internalized yeah. judgment, like you said. Yes, yes. I've often experienced a desire to feel invisible or disappear. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's uh, cer- certainly some of that <laughs> as well. 
So the next question is, how does shame relate to your alternative lifestyle and to your identity? So I'm, I'm curious how you parse out what parts of who you are are alternative and what parts of who you are are quote-unquote normal and how much shame you feel gets disproportionately allocated to whichever. Mm-hmm. Well, um, one thing that I've noticed about being a, a Black woman in today's society is that, well, for, for one thing, I mean, there's a, a, a much harsher set of standards, you know, for w- what we do. Um, and so I have, have noticed that, um, let's see, I'm trying to, trying to think of some examples. Well, you know, being highly sexual, for for example, I mean, you know, sure that that, that would also be a, a problem if I were a white woman, but mm-hmm. now being a black woman is just like that's what one of the, the things that's expected of black women is, is that we're hypersexual, mm-hmm. for example, and so um, with with my alternative lifestyle, it, you know, I I'm uh, also kinky as well, mm-hmm. and there's there's always that fear that people are going to judge me more harshly you know just be, because of, of being black you see right that they'll essentially see you as that stereotype right 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 exactly exactly yeah it it can sometimes be the same for complaining or being frustrated with racism from what i hear mm-hmm. i i tend to experience a lot less of that as a man who's a person of color mm-hmm. But I've definitely heard that there is that fear of being seen as that stereotypical angry woman of color. Yes, yes. <laughs> there's there's definitely that too. I mean, you know, when when I speak up for myself, um, well, let let me go ahead and, and get into the person I uh, mentioned earlier, who I'd been in a relationship with for almost two mm. decades, um, and I'll I'll call him Artie. Even though that's that's not his name, but getting smaller <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm really sure that somebody you know who's listening would either know him or know of him. And in fact, um, if if anybody listening has uh, followed me on Live Journal, then you'll know, know that the uh, person who I'm calling Artie is actually the the person on Live Journal who I would refer to as more than a friend or MTAF or MTAF, <laughs> you know, so right. that's who, that's who he is. Um, but I remember that there would be times where if, if I would, uh, you know, speak up to him, uh, it, you know, because I wouldn't like how I was being treated, for example, um, he would bring up something from my past to, to shame me. You know? hmm. Um one of the things that I d- didn't mention is that I, I also have uh, some mental illnesses. And, you know, I've certainly experienced a lot of shame over the years for that, even though it's, it's something that, you know, I had nothing to do with. It's not, not my fault at all. But, you know, it, it, was, it was definitely there. Mm-hmm. I don't feel it so much now, you know, because of the, the work that I've been doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but shame was very much used as a method of control in your relationship. Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm. absolutely. 
So that's that's a great answer. So you definitely talked about your identity and talked about kinkiness and alternative lifestyles and how shame played into that. What sorts of consequences did you find shame had on you, on your relationships and on you personally when you were on your own? Um, I would say, well, especially in the uh, relationship with Artie, uh, mm-hmm. the consequence it had is that it made me feel really cheap because um, let, let me j- just back up a, a little bit here. Um, I originally met him at a poly podluck. And okay. all, all of these years, I believed that he was polyamorous, but um, there were a certain things that just did not add up, you know, um, mm-hmm. for, for example, I mean, I had, had a, a chance to meet his, his wife once, but I'm not really sure how much she knew about our relationship, you know? Ouch. Yes, really. You know, he felt this, this need to, uh, just keep me in hiding, you know, like, like he was embarrassed to be seen with me in public. I mean, mm-hmm. that definitely you know, br- brought on the, the shame for me. Um, probably the best example I can think of was, uh, when I hadn't been seeing him for very long. Uh, one of the, one of the things that I found out that he really disliked about me and, and, and actually there were a lot of things he disliked about me, uh, even though he would continue our sexual relationship, you know, you know, it's like, that was the only thing that, that he thought I could do well. <laughs> and, Ouch! Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, I, I mean, how can you feel good about yourself, you know, in, in a, a situation like that? But um, when I hadn't been seeing him for very long, I, I remember I found out that one of the uh, many things that that he didn't like about me was that um, he he didn't think I was interested in other people, you know, because he thought that I talked too much and, you know, that I didn't, uh, you know, I never asked him any questions. And um, I remember there was one time that, that he said to me, and, and I, I remember, you know, feeling extreme shame when he said this to me. He said, Gloria, I finally resigned myself to the fact that you're never going to be interested in other people. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, you... <laughs> There is is no way that you would expect anybody to say something so off the wall to you. I mean, yeah, that, that just completely caught me off guard. But I remember that when he said that to me, my cheeks just became really hot, and I felt mm-hmm. this pain in the the pit of my stomach, and I you know just automatically felt worthless. It didn't occur to me at the time that what he said to me was completely inappropriate. Right. No, because I held him on such a high pedestal that I thought that what he was saying was was right. You know, I thought that he was was justified in saying what he did. Mm-hmm. I mean, now t- today, if somebody were to to say something like that, I would probably say something like, uh, "Okay, I think we're done here." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I think most people would agree is an appropriate response or, or possibly a, an appropriate response, depending on <laughs> other things in the relationship. Right, right. It, you know, what, what I really wish he had done 
instead. Um, if, if, if he you know, wanted me to ask him more questions, I wish that he had you know, said that to me, you know, said, right. you know, I'd right. really, really like it if you uh, would ask me more questions, you know, because I just have so much uh, to say, so much to, to share with you. And I, I would have been totally fine with that, you know, because I certainly wanted to learn about him, you know. Uh, yeah, but I, I mean that was that was how I communicated at the time, and I was also a little bit nervous too. Yeah, and that makes anyone want to talk a lot, <laughs> right? Right, but, or at least a large number of us. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but but to assume that by my talking a lot and not asking him any questions, that that it means I'm just not interested in other people, well, that's quite a quite a big assumption to make. Right. So. I'm interested if, I mean, you'd mentioned earlier um, mental illness, and I don't mean to change the topic, but mm -hmm. I, I kind of want to go and pick up the questions I had from earlier before moving forward. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious what sort of shame you felt in connection to mental illness, because there's such a stigma associated with it. And being right. a man with depression and with anxiety myself, mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely something I've experienced shame around. Mm. So I'm just curious what what your comments might be on that. Okay. Well, um, for, for one thing, you know, I mentioned my late father um, and I, I remember that, well, he, he was very abusive. I mean, you know, which, which was probably kind of obvious, you know, with some, some of the things that I was saying about him earlier. Um, and I remember he would, would be so quick to uh, call family members crazy. You know, even right. there was no reason to, to think that. And if if anybody wanted to see a therapist, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I'm the first person in the family, you know, maybe possibly the only person in the family to seek therapy. And I remember when I uh, first told my mom that I was going to see a therapist and she really became upset. You know, because, you know, she thought, oh, gosh, if you're going to see a therapist, that means there's something wrong with you. Or um, even more extreme, it means you're crazy, <laughs> which right. I, neither one is true. Uh, right. I will say that that in the black community, uh, especially, there's a, a, a huge stigma about therapy. You know? I didn't realize that. Yes. Yes, there, there definitely is. And, um, you know, I. I, whenever I would ask somebody if they considered seeing a therapist, a lot of times they would say, no, I'm not crazy. Or, or what do you think I am, crazy? Right. <laughs> Which, that has absolutely nothing to do with it. I mean, I'm really, right. really fortunate now that I uh, see a therapist who is uh, sex positive and kink friendly and poly friendly. Mm. Um, and gosh, are there? I'm just curious. Do you have any resources for finding sex positive, kink positive individuals in your local area? Yes, I do. Um, let's see. Now, I, I, I have this uh, tip sheet that I made up um, called Four Ways to Transcend Shame. And at the uh, end of the sheet, it lists some online resources. 
Um, and you know, one of them is finding a sex positive therapist. And it, actually, I'm wondering, is, is there any way that you'd be able to make this sheet available? Absolutely. I was oh, I was going to ask if I could link to your website and post some of your resources. That would be awesome. Oh, that'd be great. I, I mean, I don't I don't really have a, a, a website yet, but <laughs> you know, I could uh, cer- certainly send you the uh, sheet and you know. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. Well, let me know. Let me know if you need some help with that because okay. I am a professional web developer and I'm happy oh. to help you set something up. Oh, that would be wonderful. Yes. I mean, you know, for, for years I've been wanting to do a, a, a website. You know? <laughs> so, but um, the, this resource, Finding a Sex Positive Therapist, uh, and, and actually it, it comes from uh, Polly Notes, uh, Thoughts and Reflections on Sex, Polyamory, and More. And mm-hmm. I'm on Tumblr. Okay. So that's listed on the sheet. So. So since the show is called Intimate Interactions, I like to link everything back to intimacy and how things impact intimacy. I'm curious. I'm curious how shame has impacted and and more importantly than just the risks of shame, Mm -hmm. how liberating yourself from shame has impacted your relationship with yourself. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, for one thing, I, I would say the most major way that, that it's impacted my life, you know, in, in a positive way is that I will no longer have uh, shame based sex. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, when, when I would um, have sex with Artie, that was exactly how it felt is just really shameful or, or, or like he was doing something shameful by being with me, you know, um, when, whenever we would, would get together, you know, it, well, let me, let me back up a bit. He, he had so much shame that he couldn't even talk about sex. You know, he couldn't tell me what it was he wanted to do or, you know, or what he liked. Um, you know, if if he did tell me, it would be really really general. Like he he, he would say, "Oh, I you know I love I love it when a woman does such and such." Right, you know? right. Yeah, it, instead of saying, "I I'd like I'd like it if you did this," you know? right. Um, or when when you do blank, right. I feel blank. Like right, exactly. But you know, just keeping it general and and, and almost hypothetical. To me, <laughs> you know, when a woman, you know, wh- whoever this woman is, <laughs> right? You know, when when a, a woman does such and such, you know, if that, if a woman happened to do such and such to me, <laughs> yeah, right. I I wouldn't object. Yeah, really. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it, it it was getting to the the point where I was was really dreading. Uh, getting together with him. Well, not not only because of that, but you know, just be, because of uh, so many instances where he would shame me, right? And uh, you know, learning that there were so many things that that he didn't like about me. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I I remembered also, you know, feeling really cheap when I would have sex with them because. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, I I felt like a sex worker. Oh and, no! And, and I I 
you know, I wanted to make sure that everybody knows I have nothing against sex workers. Okay. Yes. And, and I didn't mean to say, oh no, in a sex worker, shamey fashion, I've done camming right. before and I have friends who are sex workers. Uh-huh. It's more just that if you aren't intending to be a sex worker and you feel as you imagine a sex worker feels, uh-huh. that's not a good place to be. No, no, it's not. I mean, you know, because uh, so many people uh, don't respect sex workers, you know? Right. Um, and one one of the things that told me that he you know didn't respect me and uh, it, you know felt so much shame about our sexual relationship is I asked him so many times to invite me over for Thanksgiving dinner, and I would receive so many so so many excuses as as far as why he couldn't. Um, you know, so basically, so you felt you felt maybe almost illicit, or like he was keeping you on the side, or that you were being separated from his life, or that he yeah. only saw you for sex, rather than saying, felt like a sex worker, felt right. felt like a secret, felt like he was ashamed, like those sorts of yeah. things are what I'm hearing. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yes, and um, that made sex just really, really difficult for me. Oh, and, and also, um, you know, when, when we were done, um, you know, then he would you know, go down the, the stairs from my apartment building. And while he was going down the stairs, he would sometimes pass my uh, then boyfriend on the, on the stairwell. And they would just kind of say, hi, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, in, instead of them having a, a conversation and, and, you know, just kind of connecting with each other, it, it was just, you know, they would just pass on the stairwell. And I remember how cheap that made me feel. Like, it's almost like you wanted more of a community-based form of polyamory where your partners could have metamorships and uh-huh. people could just feel... There's something about it to me as also a community-minded poly person that just mm-hmm. feels civil and respectful and loving. Yeah. It's nurturing and wholesome in a way that uh, some other forms of very don't ask, don't tell polyamory just are not something I could do. Like they don't feel very, they don't, they don't land for me the way I want polyamory to land for me. I don't mean to shame anyone for how they conduct their poly. Sure, 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 absolutely. Mm-hmm. I remember I would so- sometimes see pictures of, of people uh, who, who would be sitting around the uh, breakfast table with with their partner and their metamorph and you know maybe the uh, you know uh, partner's children or whatever mm-hmm. and and I would look at these pictures and, and just feel so wistful you know thinking gosh I really wish that I had that with Artie you know I wish <laughs> that he's willing to you know oh and right. I mentioned this too uh, now now this is really tricky but uh, his wife is one of my Facebook friends. And so right. I remember, um, oh gosh, a few years ago, um, after Thanksgiving, you know, she posted a bunch of the Thanksgiving pictures on Facebook. And I remembered feeling so sad and, and just so excluded when I looked at those pictures, you know, because, mm-hmm. well, I wasn't in any of those pictures, you know, right. because I wasn't invited. Yeah. Right, which ties back into the not being part of the community and being excluded from major life events. Yes, yes. You know, all be- because of his shame. Right. Right. Sex. So, 
shame can definitely have these like really impactful transcendental almost Mm -hmm. um, negative impacts on people's relationships and on their personal lives. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) You know, so what, Oh, Oh, I'm I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to please finish your thought. I'm always interested to hear. Um, You know, it, it, it felt to me whenever we would get together, it felt like he thought that he was doing something that he had no business doing. And, right. I mean, there there is no way I'm going to allow myself to be used that way anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if if you're going to be with me, you have to want to be with me, and mm-hmm. you, know, you have to feel that you're doing the right thing and and the enjoyable thing and the you know the, yeah you know the bonding thing. You know, but yeah, if, if you think you shouldn't be with me, then please don't bother. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But again, these things come from having a sense of self-worth, a sense of loving oneself. Yeah. A lot of these things that shame like really cuts at the roots of mm-hmm. makes it very hard to embody. Right. Mm-hmm. So talking more about overcoming shame, what strategies have you learned to combat shame? Okay. Well, um, there are the... the uh, four points that I, you know, also listed on my tip sheet. Uh, sure, sure. Four ways to transcend shame, and um, the the first one is to love and forgive yourself. Easier and, said than done. <laughs> I, I I want to read this this quote from John Bradshaw that that, that okay. I, along with along with that. Um, it said, toxic shame's greatest enemy is the statement, I love myself. To say I love myself can become your most powerful tool in healing the shame that binds you. To truly love yourself will transform your life. So I thought yeah. that would be really important to put that as the uh, first tip. The second one is accept yourself unconditionally. And then I go on to say, this is something that takes time and practice. A good therapist, and there you go, there's the the therapist again. A good therapist can help facilitate self-acceptance, thus reducing shame. Right. And then three, remember that shaming words and behavior say more about the person doing the shaming than the one being shamed. You. Yeah. And finally, the fourth one, avoid people who somehow can't recognize what you have going for you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's another one. Can be a little harder at times with biological family, but yeah, that's Oh a... gosh. Yeah. <laughs> but for, for for anybody else, you know. Yeah. And uh let, let, let me read this uh, uh last part. Uh, Please do. Me, I finally resolved to never again enter a relationship with anyone who is unwilling or unable to see my awesomeness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah. only been as of recently that I've been able to actually say out loud, I'm awesome. <laughs> and you are awesome. <laughs> right. And if, if somebody doesn't see that, um, no, there's no way I'm going to enter into a relationship with them. 
it you know it actually reminds me of something that Gottman's lab came up with the notion Ooh. of how humans make bids for attention with each other mm. in a variety of different ways and that we have a choice whether we turn towards the person making a bid for attention turn away from the person making a bid for attention or turn against the person making a bid for attention hmm that's interesting i hadn't hadn't heard that one i Gottman's I, Gottman's work's interesting. He's very unfortunately monogamous, monogamous in his focus. Uh-huh. But as, as a result, he studied a lot of marriages. And he yeah. does a lot of marriage studies where he does nonverbal, no sound, video footage only of the two of them having a heated conversation. They're literally just asked in the lab to bring up a point of tension and discuss it for like five, five to ten minutes kind of deal. Yeah. They have this conversation and just from the video footage and identifying like facial je- facial fe- um, expressions, expressions and gestures, uh-huh. they, they look for what Gottman describes as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, <laughs> and I can't remember what all of them are now. I'm so sorry to be bringing this up for my audience just <laughs> off, off the cuff. I will write down to include a Gottman resource. Yes, please do. Um, I will find a book or something, but one of the big four is contempt. If someone has contempt for you, it's, it's something you have got to nip in the bud and address in a relationship as soon as you'd notice, because Mm -hmm. unchecked contempt will wreck your relationships, according to Gottman. Oh my gosh. I mean, and uh, of course, right now, I can't even imagine getting into a relationship with anybody who has even just a little bit of contempt for me. Yeah. Where, where when I was so steeped in my shame, um, I mean, that was really common for, for me to do. I mean, you know, sure, I didn't like it, but I, I believe that part of me maybe thought that I didn't deserve any better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oof, yeah, I I empathize. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so what advice would you give in hmm, I'm trying to I'm trying to frame this question cuz I've obviously got my list of questions I've written out and we've covered so much great uh-huh. information. <laughs> I actually I just want to tackle speaking shame and how important mm. it can be to just speak your shame. Do you have any thoughts or comments on that? Ah. Uh, you mean just um uh, saying what, what, what you're feeling just, when, when you yeah feel like just shame. voicing like I feel ashamed of blank to a confidant or trusted friend uh, you know I, I I just feel ashamed that at, at my age there there are so many things that I you know haven't yet learned to do you know things that most people have, have learned you know years earlier mm-hmm yeah, that kind of that kind of speaking of shame. I was curious about it as a strategy for unleashing shame or getting rid of shame or working mm-hmm. through shame, just having someone to voice your shame to. I, I think that's a really good idea because, um, you know, I've found over the years that shame tends to live in this isolation. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like silence. In my, in my relationship with Artie, um, I eventually got to the point where I stopped talking to people about him, and and, and I became more and more isolated because I w- was embarrassed for one thing. Um, also, when the relationship was new, I would tell my friends, you know, some of the things that he said or or did, 
and they would say things like, wow, that doesn't sound right. That, that really sends up a red flag for me, you know? Yeah, so um, it would, there, there was no way that I would have felt comfortable, uh, you know, speaking my shame to somebody because I, I was just too embarrassed by it. And uh, right. it was just easier to uh, isolate myself. I see, I see. And I think that is the tendency, like shame has this ability to live in silence and dark places very well, and yes. it protects itself that way. Mm-hmm. It's like once once we've been shamed, we have that intense need to not let anyone know about our shame. And yet I find sometimes the best release for me is if I can somehow practice enough courage mm-hmm. to speak my shame to someone, it just gets a little easier. It's like they're helping shoulder the burden with me. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. Uh, gosh, and I re- really wish that I had the, the quote right here. Actually, I wish I had the uh, John Bradshaw book with me right now, you know, Healing the Shame That Binds You. Because right. I know that at some point in the book, he mentioned that uh, people actually feel shame for feeling shame. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, p- people can admit to being afraid, or they they can admit to a lot of things, but it's really mm-hmm. difficult to admit to being to, to having shame. It is really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, what advice would you give to people to help them avoid shaming other people? Oh wow. Um. Wow. That's a. That's a really that's a really good question. Um, well, I I tend to find that people yeah. who shame others tend to have the same sorts of judgmental expectations of themselves, mm. and I feel like there's a connection between people who are ashamed of themselves and people who shame others. I I really really believe that's the case. You know, I I've seen that in Artie. I've seen it in my father. Um, yeah, I've seen it in so many situations. Oh, and you know, of course, in the in the church, um, that I've I've heard over and over again these instances where someone would, uh, you know, a, a minister or an, an elder in, in the church would uh, shame somebody for for being gay, for example, and then you find out later on that that this minister was actually a closeted gay person himself of course <laughs> yes so uh he definitely felt shame about being gay and it was just easier to project it onto somebody else you know so i i guess probably the uh, only thing i could say about that is just to you know make sure that you're being honest with yourself mm. I mean, are, are you shaming somebody else because they you know have some quality that that you also have that you're right right like maybe we shame in part because we see things in others we're ashamed of in ourselves right right hmm so after an experience of shame how do you Mm -hmm. recommend someone try and rebuild um, a sense of intimacy or a sense of vulnerability with others? Um, let's see. Now, do, do you mean if, if they, you know, if the shame that they feel came from their intimate partner? 
Sure. Let's just focus on that. Okay. All right. Um, well, I mean, first of all, I, I would say that you know, the person should speak up to, to their intimate partner and mm-hmm. say, you know, hey, when you said such and such, I, I really found that hurtful. And like I, even use the word ashamed, like I was really ashamed of myself afterwards. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I, I was ashamed of myself and I, you know, it felt like you were shaming me. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be really hurtful and I don't want you to do that anymore. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge advocate of nonviolent communication. I oh, won't yeah. shut up about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm starting, starting to learn more and more about that. You know? Now, mm-hmm. and of course, it really helps if you have a, a partner who really loves you and, uh, it, you know, is, isn't interested in you uh, feeling more shame. Um, you know, now, if, if you have a, you know, a, a partner who, continues to shame you when you bring up instances like that, you know, or uh, practices gaslighting, you know, for, right. For yes. Um, yeah. That's a whole other problem. Yes. That's uh, really, really complicated. And I, you know, I can't really, really say what you can do in a case like that. Um, do you, do you want to just uh, fill in the audience for those who may not know what gaslighting means? Oh, right. Right. Yes, uh, gaslighting is that's a, a, a tactic that somebody will use to cause you to, uh, you know, question your own reality. You know, when when you know that that you uh, felt a certain way when they you know, d- treated you this way, or when when they said a, a particular thing to you, and the person doing the gaslighting will, you know, either deny what what they did. Or they will, you know, continue to put you down and, and say, "Oh, that that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of." Uh, or they'll, you know, as I said earlier, you know, they'll try to get you to uh, question your reality. You know, mm-hmm. maybe maybe that's, you know, maybe I'm you know, just misunderstanding. You know, maybe that's not really what happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I w- want to give a, a quick example of uh, gaslighting, and it, you know, again with with Artie. <laughs> and uh, let, let me let me just say that um, one one of the positive things that I got from that relationship is that now I know what my hard limits are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and that's that's really huge, you know. But um, anyway, let me let me give this uh, example, and that is, uh, oh gosh, a, a few years ago, uh, there was a, a political rally in Seattle, and I knew that Artie was going to be there, um, but I didn't tell him that I was planning on being there too. And uh, backing up, let let me say that. There have been instances where if, if, if I were to, you know, like run into him, uh, you know, like downtown or, or whatever, you know, run into him unexpectedly, he, he wouldn't be at all glad to see me. You know, it would, would just feel really awkward, you know, almost like, what are you doing here? I mean, he, he wouldn't come right out and say that, but, you know, I certainly picked up on that. And so, so anyway, with, with this political rally, um, so I went to the rally and, you know, I saw Artie there and, 
you know, and, and sure enough, he wasn't glad to see me at all. And I remember he wasn't introducing me to any of his friends or, or anything like that. He was, was almost kind of acting like I wasn't there or, or like he wished I wasn't there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I remember how, how hurt I was by that. Um, so I went home afterwards. And later that evening, I got an email from him. And he said, it was really good to see you at the rally. I I know it wasn't good to see me. I mean, <laughs> by the the way he acted, but th- that was gaslighting because he was was getting me to to uh, you know question my perception, and and so when when I got that email, I thought, oh, okay, maybe he was glad to see me after all. <laughs> right. Which of of course he wasn't. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting where trusting someone else to be the expert of their own experience runs into a problem when you run into someone who's trying to manipulate or gaslight you. Mm-hmm. At the very least, you can still exclude their their perceptions of other things from mm-hmm. that rule of letting people be experts of their own experience. Yes, yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah. I remember... Um, when I told him now, now you know, I mentioned the uh, mental illnesses that I have. Uh, wh- one of the mental illnesses is um, traumatic brain injury. You know, that, that's from mm-hmm. the uh, physical abuse you know, that, that I received as a child. The you know, constant you know, b- being hit in the head. Right. Yes. And so I remember when I, when I told Artie that I had uh, traumatic brain injury and he said, oh, I don't believe that for a minute. Wow. Yeah. And, and I remember I just spent so much time trying to convince him that, yes, this, this, this is true. I really do have traumatic brain injury. And, and I, I mean, now, if, if that were to happen to me, you know, for, first of all, I wouldn't try to convince somebody that, yes, I really am telling the truth. I would right. say something like, um, th- this is not up for debate. Right. And I would, would also say, you don't get to question whether or not I'm telling the truth about myself. Right. Yeah. Right. There's literally no one else that could be a better expert of that than you. You are the expert of your own, you know, personal, intimate. Yes. Internal experience was the word I was looking for. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. In terms of rebuilding intimacy after shame, which is sort of the set of questions that we've gotten to, you tackled rebuilding intimacy with an intimate partner really well. I'm I'm interested in how that looks when you're trying to heal intimacy with, say, friends, where you've stopped talking to friends or you've excluded friends because you felt ashamed or because whether that was shame of a partner, I'm ashamed of the person I'm dating, so I'm not going to see these friends, or whether it's I'm worried the person I'm dating is ashamed of me, so I'm not mm. going to see these friends. How how do you go about trying to build intimacy in relationships with friends that are that that you feel are might be ashamed of you or that you feel a lot of shame around? Yeah, um, I I would definitely do things differently from what I did with with Artie uh, because you you know I mentioned that uh, a lot of my friends when when I would uh, tell them about him you know about the, the things he said or did. And people would express concern, 
you know, saying, oh, that, that really doesn't sound right. That, you know, just sends up a red flag for me. Um, and it, it had gotten to the uh, point where, you know, I d- didn't want to uh, talk to my friends about them anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and that really uh, took the, the intimacy away from, from our, our relationships, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, if I felt that I couldn't talk to my friends about what was important, um, I mean, then the, the, the intimacy in those relationships is gone as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Yeah. You know, and I re- really think you should you know, be able to you know, feel free to uh, be yourself and to you know, share whatever's going on, even, even if you know that you know, maybe they won't approve. You know, and in, in this case, they certainly had good reason not to approve. Oh, right. Because you were experiencing, well, I would call it abuse. Was that a fair? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. De- definitely emotional and, and mental. Yeah. Yes. And and those are just as significant as any other kind of abuse. Oh, right. If, if not more so, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think the, the scars are probably longer lasting than, you know, the physical abuse would be. Mm-hmm. So talking more about those... <laughs> about the scars from from shame and and emotional abuse. I'm going to ask you the impossible question and maybe you have oh. a magic answer um, of <laughs> what what your journey has looked like if there are any strategies or principles other than the obvious ones like counseling um, for healing shame in oneself for healing the damage done by shame. Mm. I think wow there, there are several things I can say. I, I guess one, one thing that I can say is that, uh, you know, I uh, touched on this earlier that uh, my therapist is just wonderful. Mm-hmm. And she certainly, you know, helped me a lot with uh, this, uh, you know, shame with Artie, uh, you know, shame in, in, in other instances. I mean, you know, she's just been great. And I, I can't stress this enough. You know, that to to have a good therapist, somebody who understands you, somebody who you don't have to explain your lifestyle to. Um, yeah. I mean, there there are a few things that are better than that. You know, uh, so that that would be number one for me. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I think a, another thing that really helped is, um, you know, j- just studying the topic of shame. And yeah. on the uh, tip sheet that, that I'm going to give you, um, there, under the online resources, there's also uh, you know, some articles like one um, called What We Get Wrong About Shame. Why is shame such a painful emotion? Uh, seven differences between shame and guilt. Mm-hmm. Uh, shame excavation, unearthing toxic shame. Uh, so definitely um, it, you know, reading as much as you can about it but but not just doing the reading mm-hmm. uh, you know you certainly have to talk to people too you know p- people who you uh, feel safe around you know uh mm-hmm. I, I would say you know that, that's that's just major you know um gosh and i'm trying to think of what what else has has helped me um yeah you know just be, being with with people who you feel get you you know people who aren't going to continue to shame you even further mm-hmm. um, yeah gosh, so avoiding 
avoiding re-injury, like avoiding being shamed again and getting better at identifying it faster and having a counselor to help you work on skills. Are there any specific skills in counseling that you've learned that you'd be interested in maybe sharing? Uh, yes. Um, let's see. I, I guess one one of the skills is to um, you know be be honest with yourself of, about what's going on, um, you know, and um, yeah, and I just, just want to re- repeat something that I mentioned earlier, which is is also something that I got from therapy is mm-hmm. making sure that you uh, you know ha- have people in your life who you feel safe with, you know, and people who you can uh, you know share what's going on um i i think something else that i uh, got from my therapist that i found really valuable is you know i mentioned earlier you know how shame tends to to isolate you and and so you know i i would say to do the exact opposite you know uh to surround yourself with the people who are, are safe and you know and who I don't I don't want to say who won't allow you to feel shame, you know, because I I, I mean, no, nobody can really control what you feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I, I guess, you know, just the people who are brutally honest with you. That was something else that my therapist told me would be really important. And I, I would have to say that, you know, that's something that I really wish that I had had earlier. I wish that I'd had someone to not not only just say, "Oh, this this doesn't sound right to me," uh, but some, somebody who would actually say, "You know, this this isn't right. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be treating you this way," and right. who would be specific, you know, about, you know, not not just uh, you know general, you know, about it, but uh, some somebody who would uh, point out a specific incident you know or somebody who would would ask so what why have you not been able to spend thanksgiving with right you know somebody who would would come right out and ask me that and i i will have to say that nobody's ever really done that and i i think my therapist is the the only person who has you know right kind of forced me to to look at that uh so instead of going year after year wanting to be invited over for a Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, yeah. That have, having me look at the situation and say, well, well, wait a minute, does it make sense that he wouldn't invite me or, or that, that he would have to give me excuses as to why I would have to be excluded? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that ties back into your community. If you're closeted about being kinky or non-monogamous or... Any any range, queer, any range of alternative behaviors, all mm-hmm. of a sudden your lens shifts. And if you don't have someone else to sort of check the focus, you can end uh-huh. up in a situation where you're not really sure if what's happening is okay or not. Right, right. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you know, and I mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, how I, I wish that there had been somebody who was just brutally honest with me. Uh, and what what I really would have liked too is if somebody had come right out and said to me, "Well, you know, the reason why he's not not inviting you over for Thanksgiving is because he doesn't want to." 
Yeah. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, pr pretty honest. And I, you know, I'm sure that that, you know, I would have been taken aback by that. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> but it also would have forced you to confront some hard truths. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now I want to, I want to read something that, um, when, whenever I teach the, uh, transcending shame class, um, I'll in include this this one quote from Roxane Gay. Uh, there's an, an article that she wrote, and I, th I think it was on the, the Huffington Post, but the, the article is called uh, How to Be Friends with Another Woman. <laughs> yeah. And there, there is this one point in the article that I think is just so great. And to, to me, it's an example of somebody who is, is just honest with themselves and they're not allowing themselves to be shamed. Um, okay, she says, sometimes your friends will date people you cannot stand. You can either be honest about your feelings or you can lie. There are good reasons for both. Sometimes you will be the person dating someone your friends cannot stand. If your man or woman is a scrub, just own it so that you and your friends can talk about more interesting things. My question <laughs> is, I'm dating an asshole because I'm lazy. You are welcome to borrow it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love that quote so much because, it, you know, it's so refreshingly honest. <laughs> I, it's fantastic. <laughs> and I think, it, you know, I really wish that I could have been that way with Artie. It, 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 actually, okay, here's something that I, I wish I could have said. Uh, something like this. Um, I'm in a relationship with somebody who doesn't treat me well. And yes, I know, I know, I really should end the relationship. But to tell you the truth, I guess I'm just not ready. Yeah. I would have been so honest to say in, yeah. in making excuses for him. Yeah, and just having a friend to even ask, like, what can I do? Like, what do you need right now? Yes. And, yeah. and what, do you, what do you mean by not ready? Like, just giving someone a prompt to help them expand the same way a good therapist does. Yes, yes, exactly. Because exactly. ultimately, we're the ones that do the work when we go to therapy. I also go to weekly right. therapy. Oh, great, great. Yeah, it's the best choice I could have made. Oh and there's God. there's Same even here. sliding scale kink friendly yes. therapists yes. in Vancouver, Dragonstone oh. Counseling, and at least one other. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely one of the uh, best decisions I ever made. I mean, I I've seen a lot of therapists in my lifetime, and uh, there have been some who I've gone to who, um, you know, I've had to explain polyamory to them and it, it just sounded so weird to them. And yeah. they would think that if, if I was having problems in my relationship, it was because I was, I'm poly. Right. <laughs> like that, that was the cause for any problems. It's you know? so unhelpful. <laughs> yeah, really, really. It's, it's like, why am I paying you money to explain something to you? You could have probably been better trained to deal with if you just read a couple of books. Yes, or, or, or even just Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> I had a therapist once ask me to spell BDSM. What? I don't oh. even know what to say to that. Oh my gosh. Yep. Wow. <laughs> yep. Oh, wow. You know, you have to go through some to find yeah. ones that are worth seeing. 
Most good therapists will give you a half session or a first session consult for free just to sort of see if you're a good fit. And then they start charging you when they start doing the work. Right. Right. I've had other therapists offer me a free session and then we get 20 minutes in and they're like, do you want to just do the first session now? I feel like we're already getting into stuff. And I'm like, sure, let's go for it. I feel like I trust you. Oh, right. (laughs) So it really just depends on how open you are to therapy, I think, because for for me, I'm very vulnerable. And I think she was actually a little taken aback by like how quickly I was willing to jump into so my life's exploding in the following ways. Here are okay. the things that I can figure out. Here's what I need help with. How do you feel like you fit into that? And she was like, oh, I, uh, yeah, I think I can help you with some of that. Do you want to start into exercises this session? Oh, great. Gosh. <laughs> but that also took like a lot of years of going to therapy. And at a certain point, you get yeah. more familiar with the process and you get a better perspective on like, and of course, this is all highly privileged for people that have access to these resources to begin with. Right, right. So I'm very fortunate that I have the ability to pay for counseling, even on sliding scale. Yes, yes. Same here. Same yeah. here. Never remember that. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think that I feel like that pretty neatly wraps up our session on shame and intimacy. Do you have any like other quotes you wanted to share or other topics you wanted to discuss about that? Oh, boy. Let me... Let me think. Um, yeah, I mean, I also, while you're yeah. looking for stuff, I can always stall and talk about how much I like Roxane Gay's Bad Feminist book. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's it's a good book. I, I like the notion yeah. that even the it leaders is. in our community are fallible human beings. And, you know, we all make mistakes. And if we just all accept that we're really bad embodiments of the thing we're trying to promote from the get-go we all just accept we're bad feminists it's you don't have a pedestal to fall off of because you've just kind of you know i'm going to shoot myself in the foot before i start and then everyone will just know i'm a terrible feminist and then as Mm. time goes on i'm going to continue to promote feminism and hopefully you know when i inevitably say my problematic things people aren't going to jump on me and say oh he's a terrible feminist he shouldn't even call himself a feminist it's like well Mm. i I don't really. I call myself a terrible feminist. So, yes, we agree. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I, I do like Roxanne Gay. I, I really, I really do, too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, um, actually, I do have a, a couple of things that I want to um, b- bring up that, you know, I mentioned John Bradshaw before. And, yeah. and actually, I, I did find those quotes that I, you know, said that I was looking for. Uh, one of them is, um, let's see, toxic shame, the shame that binds us, is experienced as the all-pervasive sense that I am flawed and defective as a human being. Toxic shame is no longer an emotion that signals our limits. It is a state of being, a core identity. Toxic mm. shame gives you a sense of worthlessness, a sense of failing and falling short as a human being. Toxic shame is a rupture of the self within the self. Ooh. Gosh. And I mentioned earlier that uh, people uh, tend to not want to admit that they feel shame. And and I found that quote about that, you know, also from John Bradshaw, that there is shame about shame. People Mm -hmm. will rarely admit guilt, hurt, or fear before they will admit shame. Mm -hmm. Shame is the feeling of being isolated and alone in a complete sense. A shame-based person is haunted by a sense of absence and emptiness. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
that that I think that's an accurate summary. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. It's kind of neat being in alternative culture where shame unfortunately is so relevant because mm-hmm. I like shame is so pervasive that people literally stay in closets for decades. Some people never come out. Yes. Yes. And that's yes. that's just to me that's such an an unfortunate Situation. Not that in any way I'm shaming people not coming out, but the very right. fact that people feel the need to be closeted is is really. I think that's the bigger shame. If oh, <laughs> absolutely, you know. And I, I remember what happened for me. Now isn't something that you know most people can do, but I I think what happened for me to help me to finally get to the point where I was unwilling to allow people to shame me anymore was I, I got breast cancer. And oh, I didn't just, know that. Well, yeah, that's something I definitely will not wish on anybody. Um, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm in remission now, you know, thankfully. And, Congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. But um, as, as a result of the diagnosis, you know, I realized how short life is. And so uh, because of that, I you know, finally decided that I was, was going to be out and proud you know, as, a, as bisexual and polyamorous and, and sex positive, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and I also was, was not going to allow people to uh, you know, treat me in any kind of way, you know, uh, any, any way but respectfully. You know? Yeah. Now, now that's, that's not to say that people won't try <laughs> but but you've I, got your terms of engagement now. Now you know where your where your limits are. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So in in my case, you know, it, it was the uh, breast cancer diagnosis that got me to to that point. You know, where you know, like I woke up and that wait a minute, you know, mm-hmm. short life is too short to put up with this. You know. Yeah, that's um, that's heavy. Yeah. I'm curious about your rediscovering your your renaissance almost your sexual renaissance after getting this diagnosis. I've oh, yeah. I've been sort of like I read a comment the other day online that was a man who was in his 40s and he was very upset about being that old and feeling like he had never been allowed to sort of accept or take on the mm. sexuality he wanted. Oh wow. And he was presenting it like his life was over like he was too old to to have sex and I mean this Mm -hmm. is a human only in their 40s oh my gosh I was I'm curious if you're willing if you could speak to what it's like being sex positive and not being say 22 years old (laughs) (laughs) well uh for one thing and and I I should mention too that um in December I'll be 62 oh (laughs) wow (laughs) I'm definitely, you know, I'm older than 40, and of course, older than 22. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, I I think it takes uh, a a lot of self-acceptance, a lot of confidence, definitely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll I'll hear uh, some women, you know, say that that they're, you know, too old, you know, for for certain things or, you know, or too too old to uh, explore their sexuality. And... I mean, my attitude is no. You're you're never too old. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, if if you're still sexual, and you know you're still interested, 
I mean, there there is no reason why you can't be sexual. You know, my my two partners are younger than me. I mean, the uh, partner who I see the most, um, he was born when I was a senior in high school. (laughs) (laughs) And my my other partner, I believe he's he's like 11 years younger than me, something Mm -hmm. like that. And it's not something that I sought out. Um, It it just, you know, it just worked out that way. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I I would say it probably um, again a good therapist. You know, I would say would be able to help you with the uh, confidence, self, self acceptance, and, and confidence, and yeah, self awareness and self acceptance. Mm-hmm. I guess yeah. I just wanted to bring up that that older humans still have sex even yeah. post menopause. I've heard a lot of people still have sex. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I may, maybe have to use more lube, but sure, you know, sure. that, okay. You know, I, I mean, that's that's something that that everybody should do anyway. You know, at, at least as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I think lube is always a good idea, but again, it depends on the person and their allergies and what sensitivities they might have. Oh, right, right. But I mean, typically, when you're not sure if you need lube or not, try it with and without, and you'll probably find that trying it with <laughs> is probably better, depending on the lube. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> That's been my experience, too, is always use lube. Yes, yes. Having yeah, said I... that, I was oh, sorry, I just wanted to tack on. Having said that, for, like, butt stuff especially, there are, like, specialized lubes you can get, and you oh. should absolutely use a specialized lube. I have mm. heard rave reviews of some lubes for vaginal sex and mm. have tried using them for butt stuff, and it's just not a good time. Mm. If a lube is not expressly designed for butt stuff, when you, like the test I use, I'm just throwing this in there in case anyone's curious in the audience, but Uh if you put a little bit of the lube between your finger and you push your fingers together hard and you rub back and forth to create a lot of friction, Uh how does does it feel? Is it still really slippery? Does it have a thickness that acts like a cushion? Or do Uh you feel like your fingers are braiding each other? Because if your fingers are, (laughs) yeah. And honestly, even something as non-recommended as, say, KY Jelly can make Uh a really good butt sex lube, even though it's not like the quote unquote, and you'll have to forgive me for this one, creme de la creme. It's still (laughs) still a good lube. Yes. yes. I I mean, I'll I'll still use it once in a while. Sure. Yes, I you know I tried a lot of different kinds, and you know some certainly work better than others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how how often do you get to have you know lube conversations with with people half or double your age? Because I'm actually I'm 31, so. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, so exactly half. <laughs> but yeah, I just wanted to touch on the notion that people are sexual at all ages or asexual. And that sure. that doesn't necessarily get affected by turning 60. It doesn't necessarily get affected by menopause. That people can still have healthy, happy, intimate sexual relationships at those ages, too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They, they, they sure can. You know, and as, as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm living proof. You know? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Did you have any, any last minute thoughts on shame? Or are you comfortable closing the session there? Uh, let's see. Gosh, I, I, I guess, you know, just that I, 
I, I always welcome the opportunities to, to talk about shame, you know, because I, I, I will have to say that it, it's, it's something that it, it's just now starting to, to be discussed more. I mean, I, I know that Brene Brown is, is also somebody who, uh, you know, works on the, the area of shame and, and vulnerability. Yes, and, I've, and, I've read a few of her works. Mm, yeah, and I've heard some, some of her TED Talks too and uh mm-hmm. those have been great you know but uh but but yes anyway so i i really welcome the opportunities to talk about shame and that's why i you know just love so much uh b- being able to uh you know b- make people aware of it and you know i mentioned earlier i i love being able to uh you know in- introduce the john bradshaw book uh, healing the shame that binds you to mm-hmm. a whole new generation you know i i love that um, I will and, put links. I will put links to Amazon for people following. Oh, that would be great. That would be great. And um, let's see. For for anybody who lives in the the Boston area, I should mention that on October thirteenth, I'm going to be one of the uh, presenters at the uh, Disability and Intersectionality Summit uh, at uh, MIT. That's Cambridge. exciting. Yeah, yeah, really exciting. (laughs) Actually, my presentation is going to be more like a TED Talk because uh, normally it's like an hour and a half at least, you know, but this time it's going to just be 20 minutes. And actually, for me, it'll probably be 15 because I have to leave uh, time for questions at the end. Right. <laughs> this will be a you know different experience for me. But if if anybody in the the Boston area, uh, it, you know, is interested, it, it'll take place on October thirteenth. You know, it's all day. <laughs> awesome. Do you have any other like courses or um, any conferences you'll be presenting at? Maybe in Vancouver. Um, not, not at the moment. Um, now I, uh, you know, I haven't signed up for, uh, ConvergeCon next year yet, but, uh, I'm pr- pretty sure I'll be presenting there again. Have you heard of West Coast Bound? Uh, no, I haven't. It is a Vancouver based kink convention that Metro Vancouver kink puts on. Oh, great. And, and when is that? Uh, I wish I had this information handy. I will Google it right now. Okay. I should know because I'm presenting at West Coast Bound 2019 (laughs) in my calendar somewhere, but I don't tend to keep my calendar in my head. Oh. (laughs) Okay. West Coast Bound 2019 is not sharing its date with me yet. Hmm. Well, shoot. Hmm. Purchase tickets probably has the date. Yeah, I would. I would sure think so. January eighteenth to twentieth. January eighteenth to twentieth. Okay. Yeah, Friday, January eighteenth to Sunday, January twentieth. All right. And uh, I'm guessing that they they probably already got the presenters. They they do. However, I would recommend contacting. MVK to see if they have space for one more. Oh, that would be great. Just because I think you would be, as a person who, full disclosure, is on the board of directors with Metro Vancouver Kink, um, (laughs) I would would certainly be in favor if the person 
who's currently organizing and dealing with all of the classes and educators hasn't completely filled up, I would highly recommend that. Oh my gosh. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) And and it's called West Coast Kink? West Coast Bound 2019. Oh, West Coast Bound. The website is literally westcoastbound.ca. Oh, okay. Great. And for those of you listening, you can come and watch me teach. Yay. (laughs) I'm going to be covering consent and... I'm probably going to be on a panel with, did you meet Yosenio at um, ConvergeCon last year? Oh, yes, yes. Um, Yosenio is going to be at West Coast Bound this year, and he's going to be sitting on an anti-oppression panel with myself and with Kona and with Davin, lots of awesome humans from the Vancouver area and beyond. All right, that's terrific. Yeah, yes, I'm definitely going to look into that. Yeah, thank you so much. And, and and I'm looking at my calendar, and it looks like I'm free that weekend. So Awesome. <laughs> well, let's close the session, and then I will send you information. And I will post that information um, in the description of the episode so everyone has it available. Oh, that would be great. Yes. And, uh, you know, I'll also send you the, the uh, tip sheet, the four ways to transcend shame. Right, right, right. Yes. Great. Well, Gloria, thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's definitely been a pleasure. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for listening, Intimates. I hope you got something out of it. The background music is Molten Snow by Jesse Spillane. Special thanks again to my Patreon supporters who make all of this possible. If you aren't already being an awesome and supportive human like that and you want to be, you can check out IntimatePodcast.com and click Premium, or you can go straight to Patreon.com forward slash Victor Salmon. Either way, it's hugely appreciated by me. It helps me pay off the costs of the podcast and spend my time focusing on bringing you the highest quality content that I can. Thanks for your time, and talk to you soon. Appendix. Remember all those learning resources we talked about? Here they are. The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer is a raw, authentic, transparent search for worthiness, meaning, connection, and love. It is so characteristically Amanda Palmer. The audiobook is read by the author herself with musical interludes from her discography as a musical artist. I view the book itself as a piece of her art, and it will always hold a place close to my heart. Sometimes I see my search for connection, love, and intimacy in Palmer's, though I worry it's self-aggrandizing to do so. Yet I believe that that was exactly the point of her book, to see ourselves in her, for her art to capture an essential piece of who we are. Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay is a feminist work on many topics, with one major theme being that all of us are flawed humans, and that being smart, making criticisms of systems that oppress us, or being a thought leader in a movement, none of those things make us invulnerable to our flaws. Gay makes the case that we must find a less disposable way of managing our influences than discarding everyone that says something we disagree with. Remember, all your faves are problematic. Gay asserts here that she is a bad feminist right now, and that we don't have to wait for her to slip up or say something we disapprove of to decide so. In seeing our role models as inherently flawed, Gay suggests we accept and live with the things on which we disagree, rather than excluding thinkers who provide mostly excellent ideas, but do get some things wrong. 
The Gifts of Imperfection by Brené Brown is all about the way we hustle or work for worthiness and validation from others. Full of meaningful truths and scholarly research, Brown's treatment of the ways we find meaning and worth really resonated with me. I highly recommend this book, especially if you are familiar with the experience of worthlessness. Brown is authentic, true to herself, honest, and interesting. Healing the Shame that Binds You by John Bradshaw is a book recommended by Gloria Jackson Nefertiti, a shame expert and educator from episode 17. It focuses on how shame is internalized and the difference between healthy shame and toxic shame. It deals with shame-based identities, lifelong pain, and what Bradshaw calls soul murder. The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, a practical guide from the country's foremost relationship expert by John Gottman, Ph.D., and Nan Silver, is a book about relationship dynamics and ways to make them work. It's based on monogamous marriage, but I think Gottman's research can be applied to anything non-monogamous as well. What I especially loved about Gottman's work was the introduction of how humans bid for and respond to attention from each other. This was hugely helpful for me in fights, in the moments before fights started. I would find myself reacting to a statement that I found unkind, reframe the statement as a bid for attention, and then do my best to turn towards my partner instead of away from or against. Gottman's seven principles are enhance your love maps, nurture your fondness and admiration, turn towards each other instead of away, let your partner influence you, solve your solvable problems, overcome gridlock, and create shared meaning. If these principles sound like they could be applied to your relationship, consider giving this book a shot. Disclaimer. I apologize in advance if something I say discriminates against some folks. I'm open to being called in. Chances are in six months, I'm going to look back aghast and see something horribly problematic I'm not proud of. I'm certainly not perfect, and I'm trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. Along that line, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories, specifically that of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Tsawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations.